you guys enjoy the worship this morning? Yeah, pretty good, right? It's fun to go to church, but the fun's over now. Uh, we are in week six of a series that was going to be four weeks long, and it's all about mental health, and uh, we're calling it peace of mind, and today we're going to talk about a really difficult topic. Um, we're going to talk about trauma. So uh, I saw a study recently that said 89%, 89% of American adults report having gone through a traumatic experience from a fire, to a car accident, combat, abuse, assault, abandonment, rape. 89% of us have been through some sort of potentially traumatizing experiences. And each one is painful. And each one is different. And as I've said over and over during this series, I'm not a doctor, doc, not doctor I'm not an expert. Um, but people who are doctors and people who are experts classify trauma generally into three categories. So there's acute trauma. And that's trauma that's from like a one-time event. So maybe you were in a fire or a natural disaster or a car accident or you were a victim of a crime or maybe as a child you witnessed something horrible happening. That would be acute trauma. And then there's chronic trauma. And tra chronic trauma is from ongoing events, things that happen over and over and over. Maybe you were raised in an abusive home and that was your life for the early part of your life. Or maybe you spent years of your life being bullied or experiencing racism. Or maybe you were in a combat situation for days or weeks or years. That would be chronic trauma. And then there's complex trauma. And complex trauma comes from a combination of traumatic events or a series of traumatic events. Maybe you were raised in an abusive home, like so many people do, you left that abusive home right into another abusive home. Or maybe you were in combat for a while and then came home and experienced some sort of abuse or abandonment or poverty or a mental crisis or something. So it's like we keep saying this, but it's complicated because we're complicated. And not only are our experiences all different, we're all different. And we all come from different backgrounds and even different genetics and circumstances and relationships. So we're all affected differently by traumatic experiences. And just like some people, in spite of what's happened to them, have grown up physically healthy. You know people like that, right? They've had an accident, stuff has happened, and yet somehow they're blessed. They're physically healthy. And just like that, some of us have been really super blessed, and we are, in spite of our trauma, we're mentally healthy and we're able to just move on and, and we have like minimal damage. But others have had really life altering trauma that destroys their productivity and steals their joy and messes up their lives and trashes their relationships. So like I said, I'm not an expert. I've been doing a lot of research. One thing I learned is that in mental health terms, um, the word trauma is not really talking about uh, an event or a bad thing that happened. Uh, trauma is actually the response to a bad event or a bad thing that's happened. And that response can be emotional and it can be psychological 
It can be physical, and it can even be spiritual. So a lot of times it's kind of like an iceberg, right? So that the, the pain that we see somebody suffer when they're violated or when they're victimized or when they've had a medical crisis or they've had abuse or something, sometimes the, the lingering pain and the damage that we don't see is actually more damaging than the pain that we do see with the actual event. So, yeah, 89%. There's a pretty good chance that you have experienced some kind of traumatic event. And maybe you're one of the super blessed, super healthy ones that's been able to get through it with minimal damage. And if so, man, praise God, that is awesome. Or maybe the lingering effects of your trauma are still affecting your life and your mental health and your mood and your joy and your productivity and the way you see people or the way you see God. Maybe it's hard for you to laugh or it's hard for you to love or it's hard for you to trust people. Maybe it's hard for you to trust God. Maybe you haven't been able to really embrace this life that Jesus came to give you, this life that's rich and satisfying and abundant. Maybe you just haven't been able to have that life because of trauma. And maybe your trauma has been magnified by people who don't really understand your pain and don't really understand your damage. And maybe you've even tried like opening up and sharing with friends but all you get is like really well-meaning but really unhelpful advice. Like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? Or, you know what, you, need, you, just, you need to get over it. Or maybe even well-intended Christians have kind of listened to your story and then before you were even finished, they said, well, you know, God works everything for good, right? And it just must be God's will. So let's just start there. Um, if you have been abused, if you have been victimized, if you've been in the terror of combat or a horrible accident or you've been attacked or assaulted, if you've been through a terrible medical problem, I can tell you for sure, I can tell you for sure, I'm a preacher, I'm not allowed to lie, I can tell you for sure, that was not God's will. Any more than it would be your will for a child that you love. It's, it's the work of Satan, and it's the product of broken people and a broken world. And he may use it for good, but God hates the pain that you've been through. God hates the trauma that you deal with. His plan from day one, you, we've read this a million times, his plan from day one was for us to all have lives of joy, right? And peace and freedom and great relationships with each other and great relationship with him. And then that plan got sidetracked by mankind choosing our own version of good and bad and right and wrong instead of accepting his. And that choice which was made by Adam and Eve in the garden and then has been made by all humanity since, that choice is what brought evil and hate and abuse and disease and death and war into God's good world. And the promise of the Bible is that someday he's going to restore the world 
to the original plan. And when he does, there's, there's going to be no more abuse. And there's going to be no more bullying. And there's going to be no more people hurting each other. Uh, Romans 21.4 tells us when Jesus comes back, he will wipe away every tear. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And I'm going to tell you, that day is going to be awesome. That day is going to be amazing. But what about this day? And what about, what about today? How can we at least begin that healing in, in the here and now? And how can we get over all this trauma? So, first of all, contrary to what you may have heard, trauma isn't something that you just get over. Trauma is something that you heal from. And you may need physical healing, and you may need mental healing, you may need spiritual healing, you may need relational healing, you may need all of those. And so we're going to talk about that today. But as we dig into this, I want to be really clear to you that if you've been through a traumatic event, and it is still sucking the joy out of your life, if you've been through something so hard that it's impossible for you to trust people, if you've been through something so evil and painful that it's hard for you to even trust God, then this message is not intended to like minimize what you've been through or make it sound like I've got some simple solution for you because I don't. And I don't want to make it sound like this is easy because it's not. Your pain and your struggle are real. And the reality is, no matter what I say, only God can heal you. And that complete healing may not come until Jesus comes back. But until Jesus comes back, and until Jesus brings total healing, let's talk about a couple of ideas about how we can at least move forward. Let's talk about a couple of ideas about how we can at least experience some healing from trauma in the here and in the now. So a couple of weeks ago, we noticed that as we seek healing, a lot of times God lets us participate in our own miracles. Remember that message? We, he lets us participate in our own, and be part of our own healing. And as we take steps towards healing, God does the healing. And so this, this is yet another pitch for my resource list. I would really encourage you, if you don't have this mental health resource list, go back to the Connection Center and have it. And if you're doing great right now, that's great. Somebody may come to your house that's not doing great. Have this on the fridge. There may be a time that you're not doing great have this on the fridge. This is a super, super great resource list, and there's some great doctors and programs, licensed counselors, mental health experts on that list, and I'm not one of them, okay? So I'm going to stay in my lane, okay? I'm going to refer you to those experts, but today I want to just, just come at this with a biblical perspective, and let's see what the Bible might have to offer us as we're taking these steps forward, as we're at least beginning the healing process from trauma, um, there's a lot of people in the Bible that we could use for an example. We're supposed to look at those stories and plug ourselves in, right? That's why they're in there. So I can say, well, this is what it was like for Abraham. I mean, am I Abraham in this story? Am I Lot in this story? Am I Peter in this story? You know, how do I kind of fit into this thing? And I bet if you think about it, you can think of lots of Bible stories of people that went through trauma, loss, abuse, war, murder, rape, fire, poverty, earthquakes, flood, right? You can think of lots of people that went through trauma, but we're going to pick one today that we don't usually think of being a victim of trauma, and we don't really think of being a victim of anything. Um, it's Paul in the New Testament. Uh, Paul went through tons of traumatic experiences. 
In fact, the first story we hear of Paul is he's a young man witnessing a murder. That's the first story that we hear of Paul in the Bible. That's pretty traumatic. Um, and then his salvation experience was traumatic. When he met Jesus, would you say that was a traumatic event for him in Acts? Let me ask you this. When you were saved, when you were met Jesus, let me tell you how it went. Okay? You were in a church service. Or maybe you were at a youth camp. Or maybe you were at a coffee shop. And some nice organ music was playing. Right? And it was really great. And they had coffee and the air conditioner was on. And it was really great. And somebody said some really pretty words to you. And you said, you know what? I think I need Jesus. So I'm going to say yes. And you did. And from that moment on, you've had this great, amazing, impressive, important, wonderful experience with Jesus. And he's making you more and more like him. And now you know that you're saved forever. And you're full of his spirit. And you're accepted and loved and going to spend forever in heaven. And that was your experience, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Now let's compare and contrast that with Paul's salvation experience. Paul's riding on a horse, and light comes down from heaven that is so powerful, it knocks him off of his horse, right? He thought he was doing good stuff. And a voice from heaven says, Saul, why are you persecuting me, right? He gets up off the ground. He's all skinned up. He fell off a horse, right? And he's blind. He's blind, and he's walking around. He walks into this town of Damascus completely blind. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see again, and for three days he was completely blind. Would you call that a little more traumatic than your salvation experience? Yeah, Paul had lots of trauma in his life. In fact, he gives us kind of a short list. Um, this is in 2 Corinthians 11, so we don't want to compare like my trauma to yours or yours to his, but let's just see some of the stuff that Paul says he's been through. Um, this is 2 Corinthians 11:24. He says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Okay, so the 39 lashes, you know what that's all about. That's like the whip with the little pieces of bone and glass or whatever in it. And they would hit you 39 times, and you've all heard this. The reason it's 39 was because pretty good chance you were going to die, and so they had to set a line where we were going to call this a beating or we were going to call this murder. And they kind of figured at about 40, that's pretty much where people start dying. So if that happens, we're going to call that murder. But if it's 39 or less, then that's just a beaten. So let's give them 39, and if they die, they die. That happened to him 39 times. That was inflicted on him by religious leaders, the people that were supposed to love him and were supposed to be representing God to him. 39 times, or 39 lashes, that happened to him five different times. Three different times, I was beaten with rods. So if you're picturing like a quarter-inch dowel, that's not what this was. I mean, picture you being tied up and handcuffed and bent over and somebody just wailing on you with an axe handle. That's what that was all about. That happened three times. One time he was stoned, and you may be thinking, well, that's nothing. I've been stoned lots of times, but that's not what this is. <laughs> a cold, there's a whole different thing. So this happened to Paul in a town called Lystra, and this is where a mob, of, a mob of all the men of the town came to him and circled around him and started picking up big chunks of rock, just like you got in your yard, big chunks of limestone, and they started throwing those rocks, not lightly. They did it till they thought he was dead. In fact, when they stopped doing it is when they thought he was dead, and they drug him out to the edge of town. So, yeah, he was also stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. How many of you have been through a shipwreck? It stinks. Three times he was shipwrecked. Once he spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. He said, I've been on lots of long journeys. He wasn't flying first class when he went on long journeys, right? I, for, I faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. 
So he's been through natural disasters. He's been through crime. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in cities and deserts and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but aren't. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty. I've often gone without food, and I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. So Paul went through lots of really traumatizing events. And you know what? The good news, Paul in heaven now, right? He's fine now. But somehow, Paul was able to find some healing in the here and now. Somehow, Paul was able to, like, walk forward, even through all that trauma. And not just a little bit. I mean, God really used Paul. You know, he, he planted all those churches, and he advised all those pastors and teachers, and he wrote half of the New Testament. So, I mean, other than Jesus, Paul did more for the kingdom of God than I think anybody ever so here's my question for you. With all he went through, how is it possible that he was able to keep moving forward? How is it possible that he could experience even a little healing in the here and now? How is it possible that he could live the life that he lived? That's what I'm going to look at today. And one thing I think Paul did right, and according to everything I've read and all the experts I've talked to, like, this is like, you have to do this. All, all trauma survivors, if you're going to find healing... You have to process the pain of the past. You, sometimes the healing starts with just acknowledging the pain. So look at Paul. I mean, this, it's in the Bible. He wrote it down for us. Look, this is what happened, he says. It's, it's not my imagination. And I'm not making light of it. It's not some little thing that happened. I was falsely imprisoned. I was beaten. I was whipped. I was stoned. I, I, I went through a shipwreck. I went through hunger. I went through poverty. And maybe you're healing begins with you just processing the pain of your past and just saying the words. You know what? I was abused by people that were supposed to love me. And I was, I was assaulted. I nearly died in a car wreck. I lost my best friend. I was, I was raped. My, my childhood was, was years of abuse and abandonment and neglect. I've seen things, I've done things that I can't shake out of my head. And this processing the pain, it, it's hard to do because it means facing again the stuff that you've been through. But if we don't get it out, if we don't process it, if we don't deal with it, if we just try to stuff it, if we just try to internalize it, a lot of times we end up with these unhealthy coping mechanisms like alcohol and drugs and promiscuity or withdrawal or rage. And it's, it's really hard. It's necessary to process the pain of your past, but it's really hard. And it's hard to say it out loud because telling somebody makes us feel really vulnerable. And we already feel really vulnerable. It's hard, it's hard to trust people when people are probably the ones that violated us in the past. But even though broken people may have caused your trauma, Talking about it to people may be the first step to finding healing. God, God wired us to need each other. We've talked about this a lot. It's in us, man. That's who we are. That's how we were created. God wired us to be together so we don't thrive in isolation. We don't heal well in isolation. We heal best in community. So you need to find some safe people and a safe space to share your story and process your feelings. And maybe it's with a pastor. 
Maybe it's with a trusted friend. Maybe it's in some sort of support group. Maybe it's with a, a, a qualified counselor that could not only like listen, but also help you process your pain. Maybe it's with a psychologist or some other doctor that can offer some insight or, or some sort of treatment. But what you can't do is just hold it in. What you can't do is try to go through it by yourself. What you can't do is just internalize it because as, as hard as it is and as scary as it is, you have to process the past if you're going to work towards healing. So a couple of things about this, talking it out. I'm a verbal processor, famously. Margaret's heard this sermon like 45 times this week. This is the way I work. I just got to talk things out. So a couple of things about like processing this verbally. Uh, number one, it's really important to be prayerful and thoughtful about where and when and with whom you share your pain. Okay? We need, we need, it needs to be somebody that you've developed a real relationship with, that you have a real sense of trust with, that, that, that can handle it, in a relationship that can handle it. Um, it needs to be in an appropriate setting, right? Not in a large group. When Joy says, hey, before you sit down, turn around and shake hands with somebody, that's not a really great time to turn to somebody and say, hey, this is what I've been through, right? This is the trauma that I've experienced or whatever. And I want to tell you why. Number one, if, if you do, when you do that, like, if, like, let's say it's handshaking time, right? And I know everybody loves that as much as I do, but I love it. And so let's say it's handshaking time, and I turn around to the person next to me, and I say, Hi, I'm Larry. I'm the pastor. Hi, I'm Larry. I'm married. This is my wife, Margaret. Hi, I'm Larry. I dress like this because I love golf. That's who I am. That's like my identity. And to you, that's my identity now, right? And you'll always see me. Oh, that's Larry. He's the pastor. He's married to Margaret. He loves golf. That's how you'll see me. That becomes my identity. If I turn to you and say, hi, I'm Larry, this is the trauma of my life. You see the danger of that? Because now you're going to begin to identify me with that. And that trauma kind of becomes, is, and I, everybody I meet, I tell that. Everybody I meet, I tell that. Then what happens, the voice you hear the most is your own. And if I say that over and over, hi, I'm Larry, this is what I've been through. Hi, I'm Larry. This is the trauma of my life. Pretty soon, that trauma becomes my identity. Pretty soon, that trauma becomes who I think I am. And if you've been through a truly traumatic experience, if you really struggle with letting go of what's happened to you, I want to tell you that thing that happened is just that. It's a thing that happened. It's not who you are. It's what happened. It's not who you are. It's what somebody did. It's not who you are because who you are is a child of God, created in His image, loved by Him, accepted by Him, forgiven by Him, redeemed by Him. Who you really are is a person that Jesus thought was worth dying for. So it's really important as we process this pain that we're thoughtful and prayerful about where and when and with whom we share our pain. The second thing about this processing of your pain is you don't have to just talk to people about it. You can also process your pain with God. He's a really, really good listener. And He is with you in this pain. In fact, Psalm 34:18 says that He specifically... He's close to the brokenhearted. He's everywhere. He's with all of us. He's in all of us, but he's especially close to the brokenhearted. And it says he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. 
So we've identified that God heals all kinds of ways, right? Supernaturally, naturally, medically, but we know that God is the source of all healing, and similarly, God is also the source of our comfort. And so 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all of our comfort. So if what we want is healing and what we want is comfort, why not go to the source of healing and comfort to process your pain? And it's just a great reminder. You may feel isolated, but you're not. God is, God is with you and he cares about your pain and it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's okay, starting now. It's okay. It's okay to tell him what you're feeling. Even if what you're feeling is disappointment, even if what you're feeling is anger, even if what you're feeling is hurt by him. And you might think, man, I could never, I could, I could never do that. I could never, that'd be disrespectful. You know, I could never tell God that I'm mad at him. I could never tell God, you know, I don't understand you. Why are you doing this? I could never do that. But you know what Jeremiah did? Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about lamentations. It's a whole book in the Bible of him basically saying, God, what the heck? Right? That's what the whole book is. Why would you let this happen? Why is the world so broken? Why are these people that are supposed to be made in your image treating each other this way? Why don't you fix this? Why don't you rescue us? Why are you allowing this? And it wasn't just Jeremiah, and it wasn't just in that book. In fact, Google it. More than half of the Psalms, half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And it's people like David saying, God, where are you? Why would you let this happen? I, I don't understand you. Why haven't you rescued me? So here's my question. Why would God include that in the Bible? All the great stories, all the great poetry, all the great stuff that he could have put in there. Why would God include these psalms questioning him? Why would God include all of these psalms of people shaking their fist at God and saying, what's wrong with you? Why would you let this happen? And I think it's to encourage us that it's okay to tell God how you feel. He can handle your frustration. He can handle your pain. He can relate to your frustration. He's felt your pain, and he loves you. And he loves you so much that he gives you the dignity of listening. He gives you the dignity of, of letting you unpack your feelings, even if you're mad at him. And there's some real value in you saying, God, you know what? I hate this thing that happened. And I don't understand this thing. And I don't understand where you were when this was happening. And I can't do anything with all this, so I'm just going to give it to you. I think that's what it means. When Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 7, he said, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So for a lot of us, if we want to at least try to move forward, if we want to try to begin to experience some healing in the here and now, I think the first step we can take to participate in our own healing is in the right time and in the right place and with the right people, with trusted friends, maybe with professionals and with God, it's important to process the pain of the past. And then you can begin to press on to the hope of the future. So look what Paul says. This is Philippians 3.13. And you know, I have this in my head that Paul was like a little egotistical. You ever think that? Like Paul's a little full of himself? You, you guys get that when you read him? It's like, yeah, this guy, like, 
everything's how great he is, and well, this is the way I do it. And I was like, Paul seemed like he's pretty confident, at least. Look what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Like, I'm not there yet. But I focus on this one thing. For I focus on forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. And I press on. And I think this image here is like, he's, it's like monkey bars, right? If he's going to reach forward to what's ahead, he's going to have to let go of what's behind, right? He's going to have to let go of the past so that he can reach forward to the future. And, and it's really important to understand this. This idea of processing the pain of your past is not to keep us there. It's the opposite of that. Right? Processing the pain of your past is a step towards letting go of it so that we can move forward in the hope of the future. Does that make sense? Is that easy? No. Paul's aw- Paul can't do it. Paul's awesome. And he, I mean, he supernaturally experienced Jesus and he started all those churches and he wrote half the New Testament, but Paul's admitting, like, this is hard. He said, I have not achieved it yet. I'm not there yet. But I'm, I'm trying to process and let go of the pain of the past and start looking forward to my future. And it's hard for Paul. It's got to be hard for us. But if we want to experience some healing, and if we want to start moving forward, and if we're going to participate in our own healing, we need to really see and we need to really believe this statement. Even if your past is full of pain, your future can be full of promise and purpose. I'm going to say that again because it's profound and because you missed a chance of a lifetime to say amen. So get ready. (laughs) Even if your past is full of pain, your future can be full of promise and purpose. Amen. Amen. And, And you're testifying to that because you've experienced that, right? It's, 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 it's hard to believe but God can use the pain of your past to make you stronger, um, to draw you closer to Him as you begin to heal and as you begin to move forward. And I, some of you may not be ready to hear this part yet and because maybe the frustration and the fear and the pain of your past is just like too much right now. And that's okay. If, if that's you, that's okay. Maybe right now you're just at a season of like taking these tiny steps towards your own healing. Somebody here is ready to hear this. God may want to use part of your past to bring hope and healing to somebody else. Second um, Corinthians 1.4, it's, it's continuing that thing that said God is the source of all of our comfort. And it says, he comforts us all in our troubles so that we can comfort others. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. And when they're troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. God didn't send your trauma, but he can use it for good. Maybe the scars that have brought you so much pain could somehow bring healing and hope to somebody else. They did for Paul. Right? Paul said, all this horrible stuff, that's encouraging to me to see, man, he went through all of that and yet he became Paul? 
He went through all of that and yet he lived this amazing, productive, incredible life. He did all of that and he became Paul. Or look at Jesus. I mean, listen, nobody went through a more traumatic time than Jesus. He was wrongly accused and arrested. He was lied about. He was betrayed by his friends. He was whipped and beaten and mocked. They drove spikes through his hands and feet. And then they stuck a spear in his side to make sure he was dead. Let's talk about trauma. And imagine this. Jesus, here's some trauma for you. Jesus had to see the inhumanity of humanity face to face because he saw those people as they were doing that, laughing at him and spitting in his face. And he wasn't the only one traumatized by all this. His disciples saw the whole thing too. You think that might have been a little traumatizing for them? Plus, they had the additional trauma of the guilt of knowing that they betrayed him. And I'm, they, I mean, they, they said, we left everything for you, right? They had all their hope and for life and for future in Jesus, and now he's dead. So they were completely traumatized, and they were, like, hiding out and locked in this room because they were afraid they were next, right? And so in John 20, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples. Remember that? And he comes to them, peace be with you. You know, God sent me, now I'm sending you and all that. But when he appeared to them in that room, Thomas had gone for ice or something. He was, Thomas wasn't in the room when Jesus came. And so, like, Thomas is gone. Jesus comes. Peace be with you. Amazing stuff, right? And then Jesus leaves, and then here comes Thomas back with the ice. And all the other disciples are like, dude, you won't believe it. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. It's amazing. Anything is possible. You know, now there's hope for us. Because maybe there is life after abuse. Maybe there is life after trauma. Maybe there is life after death. But what happened? Thomas didn't believe him. He, like, he couldn't believe him. It's like, sounded too good to be true. And so he said, I can't, I can't believe that. I, I won't. I won't believe that what? Until I stick my finger in the holes in his hands. And so then, eight days later... Jesus reappeared to them, and this time Thomas was them. The first thing Jesus did was walk up to Thomas and show him his hands. Like, is this what you need? Go ahead. Go ahead. And we've all heard that story. That's why we call him Doubting Thomas, right? But it's really interesting to me because when Jesus died, like, death was complete, right? His whole body was dead, right? So his heart was dead, right? His lungs weren't working. His kidneys weren't working. Nothing about him was working. And then he was resurrected. And all of that stuff was healed. Now his brain was working. Now his heart was working. Now his lungs was wor were working. And it's interesting to me that those scars weren't healed. His whole body was healed. Why weren't those scars healed? But then when Thomas saw those scars, then he believed. Then he had hope. And he finally said, maybe there is life after abuse. Maybe there is life after trauma. Maybe there is life after death. So I'm thinking... Maybe there's a reason Jesus' scars weren't healed when he was resurrected. Maybe those scars had a purpose. 
Maybe yours do too. And maybe the reason God hasn't completely healed all of your scars is because your scars have purpose. And maybe their purpose is to give somebody hope that there is life. There is real life after abuse. There is real life after trauma. There is real life after death. Nobody can bring comfort and healing to an abuse victim like another abuse victim that's been through it. Nobody can help somebody that's been assaulted like somebody who's been assaulted that knows what they're feeling. No, nobody can minister to somebody who's seen the horrors of combat like somebody who's also seen the horrors of combat. So whatever scars you're carrying around, they're a testament, right? That's your testimony. They're a testament to the fact that you can survive, that you can find comfort, that you can move forward, that you can have healing, that you can be a productive, loving, helpful part of the body of Christ after trial. Your scars could mean hope for somebody else. And again, I know not everybody is, is at a place to find hope in that particular thing because maybe you haven't fully worked through your pain and maybe you haven't experienced enough of God's healing and comfort yet to think about sharing healing and comfort with somebody else. And if that's where you are, it's really okay. It's like maybe it's just not your time yet. But I want to tell you that you can still find hope in the future in God's word. Because God's word tells us something really, really important that I think should give hope to all of us. And that is that the pain of your past and the brokenness of this world, as awful as they are, are temporary. This is Revelation 21.3. So this is John. He's got this vision of the future, right? That's the whole book of Revelation. It's a revelation that he had. He sees the future and what's going to happen someday. And you've read all the stuff that goes on in there. And this is at the end. This is in chapter 21, verse 3. He says, I heard a loud shout from the throne and it said, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain because all these things are gone forever. That's pretty encouraging, right? But here's the better part. <clears throat> and the one sitting on the throne, who's that? That's Jesus. The one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And I think this is like a concept that is almost impossible for us to grasp because it's been so cheapened. Like this last week, I used some new and improved toothpaste. Right? And it might have been improved, but it wasn't new. Like I couldn't tell any difference between this toothpaste and the old toothpaste. It might have been better. It might have been improved, but it wasn't, it wasn't new. Jesus is going to make everything new. Like not better. Not improved. He's going to make everything new. When Jesus comes back, your life will be made new. And this is like really hard. Get ready. We're going deep here. That means nothing bad that's ever happened to you will have happened. You ready for that? This is, this is hard stuff. So C.S. Lewis, pretty famous, you know him. So he wrote a great book called The Great Divorce. Here's his quote. He says, some people may say about their suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. It doesn't matter what heaven's like because I've been through so much here, right? No future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. 
well, that's smart dude talking right there, right? Like, what? He's saying some people may say, no matter how great heaven is, it won't make up for the pain and trauma of this life, right? What they don't understand is that Jesus isn't just going to fix our future. He's going to undo our broken past. He's not just going to make it better. He's going to make it new. He's going to make you new. Like you were before sin. Before pain. Before trauma hurt you. So C.S. Lewis had a buddy, J.R. Tolkien. You heard of him? You read his books in high school. The Hobbit and all that, right? So, really famous one, The Return of the King. The really amazing line in this thing. So, I'm sure you guys all remember this. See the movie. Um, so in this thing, so Sam is like the hero of the thing or whatever, right? So there's this huge battle, and Sam thinks, like, everybody's going to die now. It's just over. We lost, and that's, everything is lost. And he thought he, he, thought he was going to die. And he had a friend, Gandalf. He thought Gandalf was dead. He thought everybody was dead. And so he kind of, like, starts waking up, right? And he's, he's like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not dead. And he, he can't believe it. And then he looks over and he sees Gandalf, his friend. And he says, well, he's, not, he's not dead either. And so listen to what he says. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Here it is. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue. And according to Revelation 21, when Jesus comes back, the answer is yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue. And your life will be new. Not improved. Not as good as new. Your life will be new and you will be as clean and fresh and positive and healthy and joyful as you were before the trauma. Because every sad thing, every painful thing, every traumatic thing that has ever happened, everything that's ever hurt you will be undone by Jesus. And he will make your mind and your memories and your heart and your hope and your, he'll make you He'll make you new, and you will be undamaged. You will be unhurt. You will be untraumatized. You will be new someday. So between now and then, we seek all kinds of God's healing, right? Medical, natural, supernatural. And we see from Paul's experience here that that healing begins when we process the pain of our past, and when we press on to the hope of our future. So, yeah, 90%, right? Most of us have dealt with some traumatic experiences, and we're all dealing with them differently, and some are really struggling, and some of us are okay, you know? And some of us may feel like, eh, get over it, I did, or something like that. But I'm going to throw a couple of scriptures at you here. First um, Corinthians 12:26 says, If one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Galatians 6.2 says we should share each other's burdens. Galatians 5.16 says pray for each other so that you may be healed. I love this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power 
and produces wonderful results. And so, yeah, we're going to take right steps and we're going to participate in our own miracles and we're going to seek healing and we're going to get our resource list and we're going to do everything we can to participate in this miracle. But at the end of the day, our healer is God. And the best thing we can do to help us move forward after trauma, the best thing we can do to really start to experience at least a little bit of healing here and now is to ask him to heal us. And so, you know what? If you're super healthy and everything's great for you and your trauma's behind you and you're moving forward, that is awesome. You should pray a prayer of thanksgiving about that and you should pray for the person next to you because I've seen the, seen the statistics and not everybody in here is doing as well as you are. So let's do what it says. Let's pray for each other. Let's share each other's burdens. Let's understand what that person next to us might be going for. There's somebody on your row right now that is overwhelmed with something that happened to them a long time ago. And it's holding them back. And they're not experiencing that life like you are. Let's pray for them so that they can be healed. Can we do that? Can we just, can we just pray together? Jesus, thank you. You created this world to be perfect for us. You created this thing so that we could have this amazing life and these incredible relationships and be completely healthy and love each other and be kind to one another. Thank you for that great plan and thank you for giving us the dignity and the trust of free will. You give us a choice and as, as a people, as humanity, we chose our own way. And we chose our version of good and evil instead of your version of good and evil. And we see now what that brought. And we see how things kind of got tangled up and messed up and burned down because of that decision. I thank you, Lord, for the promise that someday you're going to make things right. But I know that in the here and now, a lot of us have been through like the results of the fall. We've been through the horrible stuff that's happened to us, that people have done to us, that life has done to us. And it's not just the pain that happened then, it's what it's doing to us now, and it's our response to it. And we just, we need healing. So thank you for all of these resources that we have to seek that healing and to participate in it on our own. And thank you for the example of Paul, because he shows us what we have to do to, 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 to process that old pain and then let go of it and then reach forward into the hope of the future. So thank you for that. And now having like availed ourselves of all of that, we just want to come to you and just ask for your healing. We want to ask you to do what only you can do. And maybe you'll do it medically, or maybe you'll do it naturally, or maybe you'll do it supernaturally, but right now, Lord, we just want to pray for healing. I just want to pray for everyone here that's been through abuse, that's been through trauma, that's been through an event or experienced some sort of assault or something, that's done things or seen things or experienced things that they just can't let go of. God, will you just help us to process that? If we need to talk it out, if we need professional help, give it to you. Help us to process it and help us to let go of it and help us to reach forward to the hope of the future. God, help us to see that you can even use that horrible stuff. You never sent it, but you could even use it to, to make us stronger, to draw us closer to you. You could even use it. You could even use our pain and our scars to give hope to someone else. And Lord, we thank you because we know eventually you will make all things right and you will make all things new. So every week and every day we want to come together and we want to thank you for that because you are our living hope. Our hope is not in the people around us. It's not in the circumstances around us. Our hope is in you. So thank you for being you. 
Thank you for being big enough and strong enough and loving enough that we can put our hope completely in you. Jesus, will you please heal us? In your name, amen. Okay, so every week we've tried to have a couple of extra resources for you. And so today, if you're struggling with um, any sort of trauma, um, number one, that mental health resource list, please, please get one of those. Number two, if your trauma that has been a struggle for you is caused by grief, maybe you've lost someone that you love, we're starting our grief share classes this week. It's not too late for you to sign up for grief share, so you can just go back, grab a connection card, write grief share on that. We'll call you this week and we'll get you involved in that class. That would be awesome. And then the other one is freedom prayer. So a lot of you may not know what freedom prayer is all about. We have a table in the lobby. You can go and get more information, but I'm going to give you this real brief explanation here. Sometimes we feel like in our life we are blocked. Sometimes we feel like in our walk with Jesus we're kind of stuck. Like we just can't seem to get past it. We just can't seem to take like those next steps. And sometimes that's because of trauma in our past. Sometimes that trauma may have resulted in some wounding that you just can't quite let go of and it continues to hurt you today. Sometimes that trauma could even have us have like wrong beliefs about who God is or who we are or about the people that hurt us. Sometimes that trauma could cause us to get tangled up with bad habits or the wrong people or sin. And sometimes it could help us kind of fall into these like unhealthy coping mechanisms or something like that. So if you've ever felt like, man, I'm stuck and I just can't figure out like how to get to the next place. And I don't know which one of those things is causing it. I don't know how to unpack this. I don't know how to begin to process this. Freedom prayer is a time where you come together with three people and in complete confidence. They don't, they don't, they're not going to give you therapy. They're not going to give you advice. They're going to listen to you. And they're going to pray with you. And they're not going to tell you what God told them. They're going to help you ask God what he wants to say to you. And it's just going to be a time for God to speak to you. And so if that sounds like something that you'd like to learn more about or experience, then all you got to do is walk out there, turn left. We've got a table set up down there. Beth is back there. Jessica's back there. Debbie might be back there. And they'll just talk you through what freedom prayer looks like. So if that's something that you think would be helpful to you, hope you go back and take care of that. God wants us to participate in our own healing. So let's take advantage of these resources, and let's remember at the end of the day, our healer is God and God alone. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.